This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. So why do seagulls live near the sea? Because if they live near the bay, they'd be bagels. Welcome to Wings and Things, where you'll find real answers to real questions about everything you want to know about pet birds. Care, feeding, bird products, travel, and more. Everything to make your frequent flyer a happy camper. From parrots to parakeets, cockatiels to cockatoos, you'll have a bird's eye view of everything there is to know about your fun, feathered friends. So, spread your wings and get ready to fly on Wings and Things. Welcome to Wings and Things on Pet Life Radio. We're your hosts, Barbara Heidenreich from Good Bird Inc. And Robin Chuokas from The Leather Elf. Today's topic is training and enrichment made easy. We'll be right back after these messages. Sitting on a branch overlooking the parking lot, the pigeons watched as a Mercedes pulled in below them. What do you think, one bird said to the other? Should we put a deposit on that car? Stay perched. Wings and Things will be soaring back right after these messages. What if you could protect the life of your cat with something so simple and affordable that you already use every day? Get ready for the evolution of kitty litter. It's Pretty Litter. Along with all the features you've come to expect from your kitty litter, Pretty Litter's patented and scientific formula will also monitor your cat's health and detect illnesses early while providing industry-leading odor control. Two kitty litters, same cat, same price. But there's one important difference. Pretty Litter reacts to your cat's waste by detecting health issues simply by changing color. And the key is that Pretty Litter detects these issues before your cat shows symptoms of physical illness or pain, likely saving you major dollars in vet bills while protecting the health of your cat. What do you think, little guy? Ready to switch litter? Pretty Litter. Colorful insight into your cat's health. Go to prettylittercats.com forward slash cat 101 or use coupon code cat 101 to get 20% off your first subscription order. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. A Frenchman walks into a bar with a parrot on his shoulder. The bartender asks, where did you get that thing? The parrot replies, in France. There are millions of them. Don't have a canary. Wings and Things is back. Welcome back to Wings and Things on Pet Life Radio. Well, you know, Barbara, as the topic says today, we're going to make training and enrichment easy. Um, not that it isn't already. We just need to, to get people thinking in that direction. Um, you know, sometimes people, are, there are things that out there that can make it difficult. Um, you can, you know, there are time constraints because you have plenty of free time, right? Oh, yeah, me. All the time. <laughs> I know I do, too. And, and enrichment doesn't always come on the top of the list of things that you, you need to get done. Yeah, but, you know, as a, a very busy person, I like to think, um, I, I can still find time for it. There are definitely ways to get around that, and we'll talk about that later on. Um, some people say, oh, you know, I have 17 birds in my house. and Who has 17 birds in their house? I don't. <laughs> I have <laughs> one bird in my house. Um, okay, but we know you're out there. We know there's some of you that have 17-plus birds in your house. It's true, and, and for some good reasons, too. Um, but it's, you know, I have so many birds, and I can't give them all things, and it really takes, again, too much time to make things for everybody, and um, so there are ways to manage that, too. Yeah. Um, and then, in addition to that, is the cost. You know, oh, 
well, you know, if I bought a toy for every single one of my birds, uh, how many times have I heard that story, you know? And it doesn't have to be going out and buying that toy. So I have to admit, I'm a little bit cheap about that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and I think, uh, you know, with our schedules, we get to travel a lot. And um, and that's actually one of the nice benefits when you travel because you go to a conference and there's a great exhibition hall and there's absolutely. fabulous vendors. And by the time the conference is over, they don't want to carry a lot of heavy stuff home. And sometimes you get some really good deals. Yeah, your suitcase, you have to buy that extra suitcase. <laughs> well, that's where the cost comes in. You have to buy that extra suitcase oh. to take all of well, your Well, and stuff now you home. have to pay 25 bucks to bring that extra suitcase <laughs> home on the plane. But, you know, so those are some factors. Or space. You know, maybe you're, you've got limited space and the bird's in just the right size cage. And, you know, you, again, I don't want to put anything in there. Well, it's not always putting things in you there. You mean you don't have a closet in your house for all your enrichment items? Well, some people... You might. <laughs> I, I don't. Some people do have that and they're incredibly organized and it's wonderful. And, yeah, that's not the way it works at my house. Wouldn't that be cool, though? How cool. It would be. You could put all your... And organize them by type of enrichment. Yeah. And it could be in, like an enrichment library in your closet. And then have your calendar there that we talked about uh, posted so they just okay today I'm gonna do this and it's right here that's kind of cool I like that idea so organization helps um, and then the lack of ideas I can't think of anything new you know I've done it all before my birds are bored and then what that really says to me is I'm bored mm. you know you're looking at the same things over and over again yeah, and that, I think people fall in that trap with training, too, that um, they can't think of a behavior to train. Right. That gets challenging. And, yeah. and I think some of the things that you're asking your birds to do, um, or people are asking their birds to do, may be training things that they could be doing, but they're not looking at them in those terms. And a lot of the things that people are doing um, anyway are actually enrichment. You're doing enrichment and not even knowing it. Mm. Um, so, so that definitely happens. Um, but, you know, one of the things, um, when I have people come to my workshop, one of the things I always tell them, and, and I'm sure anybody that's been there has will remember, um, it's not brain surgery. It doesn't have to be this huge task that you undertake. Um, it can be, you know, as simple as, okay, I'm going to do, you know, set aside this time today and, and really work on enrichment um, and come up with a bunch of different ideas all at once and then present them. You know, it doesn't have to be, okay, I'm, you know, it's 8 o'clock in the morning, i got to get on the bus or get to work by 9, and um, what am I going to do today? It, it really shouldn't work that way because then it becomes frustrating. Yeah. Well, and actually for me, like, um, you know, obviously giving your bird a bath can be really enriching. And for me, it's kind of a nice break from working, mm -hmm. you know, because I a lot of times when I'm home, I'm I'm in my office working at my computer, and and my animals are around me, and to take a break, to interact with my animals is is really just a nice pleasure for me in the day and one of the things that um I've mentioned before I have this new cockatiel banana pudding and um and as far as I knew I, he hadn't ever experienced a bath before okay. and taking him in the, into the kitchen and letting him sit on my arm and you know letting the water drip ever so slightly out of the faucet and letting him experience that and I I rested my hand in a way that he could walk down my arm if he wanted to to approach the water and he did and I was so excited he went over and he started like drinking from the stream coming down and I thought okay well let me just you know I had a spray bottle too and I was like let me try just a little tiny spray nearby and see what he does and and you know sort of nature kicked in and he started going through the the body postures of wanting to take a bath and I was so excited it oh, was so great. fun you know to watch him in my opinion when a bird takes a bath 
they're usually pretty comfortable and relaxed. Um, you know, they're not worrying about environmental right. issues. And so seeing a bird take a bath is just like, is like, you know, a pleasure for me because it seems to me like they're having a good time as far as I can tell, you know. Well, I think that brings up a really good point. It was enriching for you and for banana pudding. It wasn't, <laughs> you know, it was new to him. It was new to you. And, and that's what enrichment's all about. You know, there absolutely is that win-win situation where, you know, you're doing these things for your bird that, that are stimulating, you know, their lives and making them fuller. And at the same time, you're getting that response, which is part of building that relationship with your bird. Yeah. You know, um, and then I had said before, setting aside a time to work on enrichment. You know what? I get my best ideas in the shower. What? You know... I do too, and somebody I think it, I think it might have been Susan Friedman who had said there's there's actually some science behind that. There, there's got to be something about the way the water flows and it <laughs> makes your brain go too. I don't know, but um, it's it's you know shower time or you know take some of that TV time you know when you're on the couch and you're just watching that show and and turn the TV off and and maybe work on some enrichment stuff or take your bird out and visually enrich them with the television. Mm, very good. So what about um, those people that have those 17 birds or more? <laughs> <laughs> well, you need... Or if two, you, okay. If, or two. I mean, if they're housed together, you know, if some of them are housed in groups, um, providing things that, that resemble what might happen in the wild, you know, these birds don't just sit on a branch and then go to their food source alone and do those kind of things in the wild. What the, you know, they travel as a flock. They, they feed as a flock. They do everything you know, with another or, bird. Or at least one other bird if they're not right. in a flock situation. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, if you can create those kind of opportunities, you know, do it foraging, but, but put out enough so n they're not all after the same item. And, and I guess, of course, we should say that's with birds that actually do get along with each other. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, you don't want to put the two birds that, that, you know, the cockatoo that hisses at the other bird, you don't yeah. want them going for the same, the same enrichment item. Right. And I, you know, I've used this uh, before. It's like when you were a kid and you were in school and you had that gum and the teacher said, you know, Barbara, do you have enough gum for everyone in the class? <laughs> so you need to have enough enrichment for, for all the birds, you know? I was a good kid. I would never have done that. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, moving on right along. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, it's just making sure that you're not creating issues you know, putting setting these birds up to have aggressive um, problems, aggressive problems yeah, down with the each line. other or something. Um, sure. And then, you know, the cost factor um, with recycling, um, you can use so many things that you find in your house. You know, those boxes, the recycled paper um, like that you get for the carrier for your coffee, um, you know, different things like that. And just look at it, you know, assess whether it's, it's um, safe, bird safe, and maybe recycle it. You know, before you throw it away, what can you do with it? How can you modify it? I think we talked about this before. My my dog, um, you know, still a young puppy, not even a year old, and so and he's got a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. And to make sure he's got lots to do, pretty much anything that I am about to throw out, before I throw it out, I look at it and I go, "Does this have any uh, um, enriching opportunity for my puppy?" <laughs> you know. And a lot of times I'll take, like, say I've uh, you know gone through a box of Good Bird magazines and I've got an empty box, cardboard box. I'll take newspaper, crinkle it up, stuff it in there, and, and I'll sprinkle even his dog kibble, sometimes some other treats in there so he never knows exactly what right. he's going to discover when he opens up that box. And then I just kind of close it in a way that's not so secure that it, he's going to have a hard time, but just, you know, enough that he's got to work at it. And, mm -hmm. and especially if I'm about to leave the house and I know um, I want him engaged in acceptable activity, 
I'll pop that box in the kitchen, and and uh, I have a puppy gate, and he's in the kitchen, and he has access to to outside as well, and and he'll just go to town on that box, and yeah. didn't cost me anything. Well, that's the thing too, you know. I, I'm I think about soda bottles or pop bottles, depending on where you're from. Tonic if you're from the Northeast, um, but you know, you just poke a hole in that, tie a str- you know a, a leather piece through it, and then you. I mean, think of the different number of enrichment options that you're creating. It can be auditory if you put something in there that rattles. Um, it's tactile in that you know they they play with it and tear it apart. Um, you can put food in it and then it becomes foraging. Um, so the, you, and it's visual; they can see inside the bottle if it's a clear bottle. So there's all those different things being addressed for you know if you live in a state where there's a deposit on the bottle for five cents. Mm-hmm. You know, um, versus, you know, what you're going to spend for a big giant foraging toy, you know, yeah. somewhere else. Well, and another thing that I do that's really inexpensive, um, I, I, I also try to, you know, get my dog out um, to the dog parks. To um, He's pretty well socialized and is very well behaved at him. And, and, um, and the dog park I go to has lots of bamboo growing. There you go. So that it's just automatic now that every time I go to the dog park, I'm going to grab a couple um, pieces of bamboo that I'm going to bring back for my birds. Mm-hmm. And it, it costs me nothing, and I'm going I'm to be out there anyway, so it's not like I'm making a special trip. And, um, and even though you may think, oh, gosh, bamboo again today, um, what happens is because the bamboo dries up and it gets all crinkly and it falls off and it ends up at the bottom of the cage, my, when I bring in fresh bamboo, it's like, ooh, this mm-hmm. is different. So it's got that little novelty effect, and they get all excited about it, and they go to town on it right away. And the other thing with bamboo is it's got that natural shelf in it, the bigger pieces, has, um, and you can make sections, and you can put things in different sections. We actually designed a toy um, for crows that took, it was their natural caching behavior, and so you're focusing on something they do in the wild anyway, and so by hiding things inside there, it's a foraging opportunity. Mm. I haven't tried that one yet. They just, I get the little tiny, you know, tips of the okay. the bamboo, so they're just kind of chewing off the, the leaves and the stems and things like that, so. I'm so jealous of those of you that have bamboo. I don't have bamboo oh. in Massachusetts. <laughs> it so. does take over, though, so you have to watch out. It's definitely <laughs> invasive, so don't go out there and plant a grove of bamboo in your backyard unless it's already unless there. You're really want it another cost saving um, option is you know shopping in dollar stores Um, as long as you're careful with um, you know paint and and making sure that things aren't coated um, dollar stores are a great option you know you can put things together make toys out of things you find um, and it's it's a real savings Mm -hmm. Um, and then reusing you know as, as a toy maker, part of my, um, you know, I, I want people to buy more toys, but you can restring toys. You know, when they bite the, the piece of leather or rope that goes through the middle and it all falls down, you can tie it up again. I know it sounds like, you know, work, but it's in the long run, you're going to save money and you're using every bit of what you've got because eventually it will be just, you know, a pile of sticks or twigs on the bottom. Well, and actually when I, um, I guess this is back when I worked on Disney's Discovery Islands, this is a number of years ago um, before they they closed down that zoo, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. and when the Animal Kingdom got up and running. But um, we were very, we were on a, you know, believe it or not, (laughs) we were on a tight budget, even at Disney. And um, what we would do is when all the toy parts ended up at the bottom of the cage we put them in a box somewhere and hang on to them and then we would take those plastic tubs that are um, you can get like at Home Depot to mix cement and things like that and we would take all those bits and throw them in a tub mm-hmm. and that would be enrichment on 
you know, one of our days. Um, right. And they would just like, oh, my God, what's down? And we would call it like the toy box because it was like, ooh, what's down there? And so they go in there and they explore all sorts of things. And I'm, I'd, I don't think we did it at that time, but, you know, my head goes to now. Well, we could have also sprinkled food in there that right. fell through all the the little bits and they would have had some other things to discover as they um m- you know manipulated all that stuff oh absolutely and that's you know it or they turn into foot toys you know the yeah. hanging toys can turn into a foot toy when if they you know are on the bottom and you put them in a uh, box like that then they're foot toys um so just reusing some of the parts and then you know changing things up you know so it's not always the same that that keeps you know things easy and finally just talking to you know fellow parrot owners about what they're doing you know, you, you may be racking your brain. I can't think of anything new. I haven't done anything new. Um, so, you know, get out there and talk, you know, to people in your clubs or, or groups or on, you know, Yahoo groups, uh, things online, and see what other people are doing. And that'll kind of sometimes stimulate you to, to come up with new ideas yourself. Well, what do you think? Should we take a break and then come back and talk a little bit about ways to make training easy? I think we should because I'm sure it can be. It, it can be. You're right. All right. Well, we'll be right back after these messages. Stay perched. Wings and Things will be soaring back right after these messages. Put on a perfectly possum pet party. Having an awesome birthday or adoption day celebration for your four-legged friend? Or just want a fun excuse to throw a fun party with your friends from the dog park? Deck out your party with Molly and Bandit Pet Party Accessories, party products designed specifically for pets. There are wearables, including adjustable pet party hats, bow ties, and tutus. The photoprop kits include funny glasses and hats. The party supplies and decorations include coordinating table covers, party banners, cake decorations, and treat bowls, cups, and bags. Everything you need to create great memories and Instagram-worthy photos. They're available in two colorful themes, Tropical and Fireman. It's a dog's life. Celebrate it with Molly and Bandit Pet Party at mollyandbanditpetparty.com slash petlife. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. A Frenchman walks into a bar with a parrot on his shoulder. The bartender asks, where did you get that thing? The parrot replies, in France. There are millions of them. Don't have a canary. Wings and Things is back. Welcome back to Wings and Things with your host, Robin Chiwokas. And Barbara Heidenreich. On Pet Life Radio. Well, we're going to get into how ways to make training easy. Um, I read an article not too long ago that... that someone was suggesting that it was really difficult for owners to train and that they'd be less likely to do it and you know it's pretty hard for an animal trainer (laughs) to read when especially one who goes out there and is trying to help people learn how to do this stuff and and I have to say that in my experience I've I've found that to be quite different I think I think part of it is that maybe not so many people know about how to do it just right and I I think that that is key you know and, and to say that it's it's too hard um, I have to say, you know, I have a 12-year-old son, and um, he, of course, is brilliant. Um, <laughs> but he is 12, and he's able to train Nikki um, basic behaviors and, and gets such a thrill out of it. And so there's that, that reinforcer for him that, look what I did, um, and, and it was easy. You know, it, it's not a big, he, turn, he um, trained the turnaround on the perch. Uh-huh. And, it, and it's not a major undertaking. You know, my 12-year-old son can do it. You can do it, too. Well, and I've had that experience at my day-long workshops, and it's actually one of the most 
you know, they, they maybe they don't know it, but the, to me, it's one of the most reinforcing experiences when I'm when I'm teaching those workshops. I remember one in San Diego, and this really great family had brought their two children, who were one was probably about maybe ten or eleven, and the other one was maybe seven, and everybody had gone off to take um, a lunch break, but they stuck around there and ate lunch there, and they had their blue and gold there. And during the lunch break, the the little boy trained um, the macaw to turn around a circle, um. and he was he was. You know, he was kind of a quiet child who wasn't going to, you know, like, look what I did, look what I did. But he was so proud. Right. You know, you could just see it all over his face. And and then the really cool thing is for quite a while that family kept me posted as to what was going on. And um, they were they just got hooked on positive reinforcement training. Their kids were so excited about it. Um, And it was actually, um, you know. This maybe was a year, probably two years ago, and they had some the really bad fires in um, Southern California where people had to evacuate, and the wild animal um, park had to evacuate too. And and um, they had horses and things like that. And they said because of their experience with the positive reinforcement training, they were able to easily evacuate their animals in a really stressful situation. It was so reinforcing. It definitely is, and and it doesn't have to be that that big, difficult, scary thing. No, mm-hmm. and I remember, you know, there's been some others, too, where there's children there, and they, and, you know, watching them get it and do mm-hmm. it so quickly, or I get an email where I, you know, my son watched your video, and he he tried it, and he did it, you know, and I was in five minutes, and, and so it's not that, you know, it's what I, it's, it's just basically positive reinforcement training, it's not like my secret method or anything, it's just that if people are given the information, and, and we give them in the beginning behaviors that are easy to accomplish so that they learn how to do it Mm -hmm. and their birds learn how to learn next thing you know they're looking for the next challenge how to because it's fun training's addicting it's (laughs) such a huge rush when you you know train a behavior and and your animal your bird gets it down and then it's like you know i did you you do take that ownership i did that even (laughs) though it's your your bird that's doing the behavior but it, it it there is a rush. There's that training rush, I and know. it's really great. And that, I think that's why for me, when I teach these workshops, a lot of times we're um, doing behavior that I'm training the same behavior that I've trained many times, but it's with a new bird mm-hmm. who may not know the behavior, and um, and I still get that feeling of oh that was so much fun you know and and one of the traps that a lot of trainers fall into is that we want to keep asking for the behavior over and over again because we got it oh he did it do it again you know which which you know after a while makes it perhaps not so much fun for the birds so we've got to be careful of that we have to read their body language yeah. and make sure that they're they're still having yeah. a good time doing this training that's session. right um well and some other things that people don't realize is that um you're a lot of behaviors can be learned really quickly in one session, um, and sessions don't have to be, you know, these big labor-intensive things that you have to schedule and blah, blah, blah. I mean, literally, they can be, um, you know, five minutes long, and you can make progress. And, you know, you, if, you had, if you had three or four five-minute training sessions in a day, you might have that behavior trained by the end mm-hmm. of the day, and, and it doesn't have and, – and if you can't do it in one day, you do five-minute sessions – you know, over a week or over two weeks, and the next thing you know, you've got a behavior. And I, and I think you can grab moments for training, um, you know, training opportunities, not necessarily when you're under some kind of time constraint, but, you know, there may be, okay, you're, you're going by the cage, and, oh, you know, you've got those five minutes to, to do something, and just take it as a training opportunity. Yeah, um, yeah, and well, and that's real life with right. animal training, or, or, you know, training with your companion animals, the animals in your home, you know, it's it's about every interaction and how you respond to it. When you, you know, ask your bird to step up on your hand from the play stand to go back in the cage, 
um, are you reinforcing that behavior or are you putting it on extinction because you never reinforce it and next thing you know you're having the problem of he won't step up on my hand to go back in the cage right. and so it's really about applying it in everyday life anyway you know one thing to keep in mind though is if your bird has had past history with something that was was unpleasant to him say for example um, your bird was restrained with a towel against mm-hmm. his will you may find that that bird isn't very receptive to being uh, comfortable with the towel very quickly and that might take you longer to train but if you've got a bird that doesn't have that kind of history um, that behavior can be trained usually one or two two training sessions and in fact the lovely banana pudding who I guess can't stop talking about there you go. Um, uh, I, I did some training with him and literally like in one session I was able to at least rest the towel on him and with him remaining comfortable I hadn't gone to the the point of actually adding pressure and trying to pick him up um, uh, in my my latest DVD on body language um, Joseph and Toby are in there again, mm-hmm. and he was in my first DVD, and um, this wasn't on film, but I was at Joseph's house, and he wanted to try training that behavior, and because Toby was such a good learner and Joseph's a good trainer, he was able to get that little bird with a towel wrapped around him in one training session. I remember Joseph's face just being so, he was just you know bright as could be, going, oh, can you believe this? Look what he's doing. He was just so proud, but it was his good training with, sure. with Toby that got him there. And I think it brings up a good point, too, when you talk about history. Um, there, there's really no reason for a towel to be a frightening thing. You know, um, it, there, there isn't, you know, just because we associate it sometimes with that negative, you know, oh, the bird was toweled inappropriately, you know, and, and we've all had that experience, um, but it doesn't have to be. If there isn't that history, don't build it up so that it becomes that, yeah. that stumbling block for you. Sure, sure. Now, I guess the, the overall topic is making this easy, and certainly, you know, we kind of address the time constraints as far as training is concerned. It doesn't have to be a big time consumer for you. But the other thing that I think is really cool about training is it doesn't really cost you a lot of money. No. Um, in fact, you know, there's not much you need in the way of supplies. Well, I mean, you've got to feed them anyway, right? Yeah, well, you've got to you have know, food it's for kind them. Of important. <laughs> if you want yeah. to use food to train, but you don't even have to use right. food to train as a reinforcer. You, if your bird is into cuddles and head scratches, you know, there's a great reinforcer right there. And, and so they're really, you know, you don't have to pay for your, your fist. You <laughs> if know, I'm using my fist as a target, that's yeah. Right. So, you know, it's uh, and and you can get if you wanted to use a, a stick, you can go get some Chinese food and get a chopstick at the restaurant, and there there's you your target on. stick. That didn't cost you anything either. Some people like you know like to use a clicker, and I, I think they cost what a dollar or two at the most. <laughs> you know, and if you're at a, a training um, seminar or something like that, sometimes they even have them for free. Yeah, you know, at the yeah, vendor booth, they so. do, don't they? And then if you want to train a behavior that requires some props, like say you want to teach a bird to retrieve something, like put you know, a lot of people think of basketball because that's like your basic retrieve. But you know, I've trained it at seminars um, when we're like frantically looking for you know something to work with I, I remember taking a I think it was like a you know just a food bowl that the bird that was laying around to hold other food and bottle caps mm-hmm. from the bottled water people were, were um, drinking and we use those as our object to place in the bowl and again you know really no cost to right. the trainer I mean those those pieces that fell to the bottom that we talked about before from the toys you can use those you know as, as for a retrieve yep I agree. Well, I guess, and, and I would say that, um, you know, we already talked about how how little kids can do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I've certainly seen plenty of adults do it as well, so I know that they that it's possible. So I guess my, um, 
my challenge to people is that you know if if you heard it if you're a little intimidated just just give it a try you know try something simple like training your bird to target which is another really super easy behavior to train um just to get you started mm-hmm. and and you, you'll just get that that little rush of oh my god he did it right and the training in itself is easy and then some things that we train make your life easier you know it may be having the bird target so that when you open the food door you know he's not trying to Nikki used to try to sneak out the food door my kayak used to oh here she comes with the food and I'd open the food door and oh it's time to get out coming out the food door no well that's not how it works you know um, and so we worked on I, I target him up to the side of the cage and then open the food door Put the, the bowl in, close it back up, and then and he makes that happy sound, <laughs> little brr, brr sound, and then you know goes for the food. So. Yeah, yeah. It's just not, and you know, and here's the other thing I think that people forget is, even though you may not be thinking that it's a formal, you know, it's a formal training session, you're actually training your bird all the time right. anyway. Every interaction you're having with that bird is influencing behavior somehow, one mm-hmm. way or another, whether you're reinforcing it or you're punishing it, um, maybe without your knowledge because you're not thinking about it. But if you do get into that, that mindset of that, oh, you know, my bird just did this. What were the consequences mm-hmm. of that behavior? Did I follow it up with some attention? And was it a behavior I wanted right. to continue and in- increase? And so you start thinking about, ooh, I just reinforced a scream. Darn mm-hmm. it, I shouldn't do oh, that it, again. It's the <laughs> walking out the door and when they're, you know, the bird screams at you and you say, it's okay, I'll be back. Well, now you're reinforcing that scream as you're walking out the door. Right. So there's, it's really going on all the time. So, um, so spending a little time to uh, learn how to train some simple behaviors will give you some good insights and in how to manage all your bird's behavior, not just things to entertain you. Great. Good. Thank you. And I think, you know, we can talk about some of the upcoming events, and hopefully we can give people more information on, on – uh, making it easy the workshops try to make it easy yeah so. yep for both enrichment and training we try to give you some great ideas and give you some practical applications so that you, when you go home you've got some tools to work with and give it a try all right i'm going to be in las vegas on september 27th doing a parrot behavior and training workshop this day-long event is hosted by the southern nevada parrot education rescue and rehoming society say that three times i fast. know and <laughs> their website is lvbirdrescue.com and then in October, I will be at the Gabriel Foundation with Dr. Susan Friedman, Jerry Labonde, and Lori Hess. And we're giving a seminar for veterinary professionals. It's a three-day intensive hands-on opportunity for veterinary professionals. And then on October 11th, I'll be in Long Island at um, Long Island Parrot Society's Parrot Expo. It's from 9 to 5. They have an amazing vendor room, and I'll be speaking on enrichment. And then November 8th and 9th, everyone's coming to Austin, Texas, Yay. because Robin and I are doing a um, parrot training and enrichment weekend. So all this stuff that you heard a little bit about, um, we'll be doing live and in person. So come join us for that. You can sign up at uh, the goodbirdinc.com website. You'll see a little uh, announcement for it on the homepage. Oh, and what's next? March 28th. Um, we're already looking at 2009. Can you believe it? And what is this? We're in the middle of a heat wave in the okay. summer, I think, here. I'll be in Connecticut teaching a flight workshop, and we'll have more details coming up on that on my website soon. And then I'll be in Canada with Susan Friedman again. We're going to be doing a parrot behavior and training workshop in Ontario, um, in Toronto, um, up there in Canada. And more information can be found on parrotworkshops.org on that particular event. 
And then coming up, just to give you a heads up, in May 2009, I'll be doing some uh, workshops in Europe. And uh, more information will be posted on my website when I have that available for you. And then at the end of May, um, the 29th through the 31st, we'll be doing the um, Best Parrot Conference in Edison, New Jersey. And you can go to our website, bestparrotconference.com, and the registration form's up there. Ooh, sign up now. Um, I talked a little bit about Joseph and Toby, and um, they're in my latest DVD on understanding parrot body language, but you can also get a little glimpse of them right now if you go to my YouTube site. Um, I have, I think I have like nine videos up there, I don't know. Um, but it, the site is youtube.com backslash goodbirdinc, and you can check out a whole bunch of different um, examples of training with positive reinforcement and looking at some weird birds. I got the shoebill stork up there from <gasps> Walls Rota. We it's went worth it just to go see them. Yeah, Robin and I were fortunate to visit a bird park in Germany and um, the got... The most amazing bird, the yeah. shoebill stork. It looks like a dinosaur. It does, and the first one was hatched in, uh, I think, Belgium recently. Mm -hmm. First one hatched in captivity, so that's a really big deal because they're very difficult um, to breed, apparently. Very exciting. Yeah, so a cool bird. Check it out on the, the YouTube site. And the enrichment tip of the week is parrots are a lot like children. You know, the box is more exciting than the toy inside. Um, so just take a look around and see what kind of new things you can find just around your home for your, your feathered companions. And my training tip is one way to keep your training sessions short uh, is to make sure you end your session before your bird loses his attention for whatever reinforcer you're offering. Sometimes we push for a little bit more um, and our birds start to slow down in their responses and then we actually end up into a little training dilemma. We start teaching them to be really slow um, in response to the cue and that's not something we want either. So if you see your birds kind of over it, it's okay to stop. No problem. Okay. Well, it looks like we're out of time. Some upcoming topics that we're working on. Uh, body language, sexual behavior in parrots, desensitization, um, you know, boarding your companion bird. And, and we've got a whole bunch of other topics, but we're going to let you know about those later on. Yes, as they develop. But of course, if you have suggestions, feel free to email us at barbara at petliferadio.com or robin at petliferadio.com. And if you would like transcripts of the show, you can visit PetLifeRadio.com. Well, thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll see what we can come up with for next time. Sounds good. Bye. Join us every week on Wings and Things and get a bird's eye view of everything there is to know about pet birds and how to make your frequent flyer a happy camper. Wings and Things, only on PetLifeRadio.com.